Hello and welcome to the CCO 2.0 Stakeholder Webinar. My name is Maria Vargas, Regional Outreach Coordinator, and it's my pleasure to introduce our presenters today, OHA Communications Director Rob Cowie and CCO 2.0 Member Transition Lead David Ballantyne. Thank you, Maria. So this is Rob Cowie, Communications Director at the Oregon Health Authority, and I just want to also say thank you all for joining us today. We've had more than 600 people sign up for this webinar, and we're really glad you've taken the time to participate and hear about how we are moving forward with CCO 2.0 and supporting members in this transition. So as you'll hear in this webinar, supporting members and helping members make a seamless transition to CCO 2.0 is a top priority for OHA, but we also know that we can't do it alone. So we depend on community partners, on providers, advocates, and other organizations who work with OHP members every day to help us ensure that members stay connected to care and know what's happening and can make the best choices for themselves and their family. So we appreciate the work that you do, appreciate your partnership, and appreciate you taking the time today to learn about this process. So here's what we're gonna cover. We're gonna do a short stepping back and looking at the goals and, um, and objectives at CCO 2.0. We will talk a little bit about the contracting process and where we are right now, uh, which organizations have received notification of intent to award contracts, uh, where, which organizations will be exiting the market, uh, and uh, how this will play out on the ground in counties around the state. We're going to share with you the communications plan that OHA has developed to inform members about what this process means for them, choices that they may have in their area. If they're members of a CCO that's transitioning and leaving the market, how that will affect them and what they can expect next. And then we will share some timelines and resources for you so that you can partner with us and uh, ensure that, that members are well supported. So let's step back and look a little bit at the goals that underlie CCO 2.0. And I think all of us know that the stakes are high in this process. First of all, OHP covers more than a million people in Oregon. That's one in four Oregonians. And in some counties around the state, it's closer to four in 10 county residents are on the Oregon Health Plan. And of those million members of the Health Plan, eight in 10 are currently enrolled in a CCO. And as we look forward to 2020, the value of the CCO 2.0 contracts will be more than $6 billion in the first year alone. But it's not just about the scale of this effort. CCOs have been a primary catalyst for Oregon's nationally recognized health transformation efforts. As a state, this has been a, a bipartisan effort uh, that has really been focused on improving our ability to deliver better health outcomes, improve the quality of care, and curb costs in our healthcare system, not just within the Medicaid program and the Oregon Health Plan, but really to be a catalyst to transform the delivery of healthcare across the board in all sectors. And in the first six years of this effort, I guess we call CCO 1.0, uh, we've made a lot of progress. So we've seen OHP members have increased access to primary care, uh, unnecessary ED utilization has dropped, more OHP members report that they're in better health, 
and we've held costs overall to 3.4%. And an OHSU evaluation found that in comparison to Washington on a per member per month basis, Oregon's Medicaid program costs less for the specific services that they looked at. But we still have a lot of work to do, and that's why we're moving to CCO 2.0. We know that healthcare costs continue to rise at an unsustainable rate. Too many Oregonians are in poor health or are at risk. And we continue to have unacceptable disparities in health outcomes based on race, income, geography, and other factors. So to accelerate health transformation and tackle these challenges, Governor Brown identified four priorities at the outset of this process. And those priorities are to improve the behavioral health system, better reward providers for improving health outcomes instead of paying for the volume of patients they see, address the 80% of factors that happen outside the doctor's office that shape our health, and these are often referred to as social determinants of health, and reduce costs. So over the past 18 months or more, the Oregon Health Authority engaged in an intensive public engagement process that involved dozens of meetings with advocacy organizations and stakeholder groups, online surveys that involved thousands of Oregonians, an OHP member survey, and ultimately culminated in a 10-city tour OHA Director Patrick Allen took last summer to hear feedback on these priorities and gather input on other things that were important to Oregonians as we move forward to draft new contracts and, and move forward with health transformation. And over and over in the surveys, in the public meetings, we heard again and again, Oregonians echo these priorities. Last fall, the Oregon Health Policy Board affirmed them and directed OHA to develop a request for proposals and a new CCO contract that would reflect these priorities and continue to advance health transformation in our state. So one of the things that I think we heard loud and clear through the public input process, and I think we learned as an agency in CCO 1.0, is that OHA also needs to do a better job of holding CCOs accountable, and we need more tools to do that. So in the RFA and in the new contract, there are new incentives, new requirements that give us the ability to meet these goals and continue to accelerate health transformation. And they include uh, tools to better integrate behavioral health and physical medicine, target investments and incentivize investments in social determinants of health and health equity, use evidence-based practices and, uh, and provide more efficient healthcare delivery, and support CCOs and more closely regulate them so that they remain financially solvent. So as we move forward and begin the transition from CCO 1.0 to 2.0, here are some of the values that are really informing the work that we're doing as we think about what's the best way to support members in this process. And I think the first one is, first, do no harm. We want to ensure that there is minimal disruption in member care, that members know whether their CCO is changing or not, how they can continue to see their doctor, their behavioral health counselor, and all the other providers that they've come to rely on. We wanna make sure that members experience as seamless a transition as possible. That said, we know there'll be bumps along the way. So right now, we're estimating that approximately half a million Oregonians will experience some form of opportunity to make a choice, 
some kind of change in the process because maybe their CCO is leaving the market. And we want to make sure that as they go through that, yes, we're doing everything we can to avert any kind of pitfalls or hiccups along the way, but we know that some of those things will happen. And if only 1% of those half a million people experience some kind of problem, that's still 5,000 people across the state who will need support. So as you'll hear today, we're doing everything we can to try to uh, avert and alleviate those potential problems. But we're really going to look to you to partner with us to, to help. And so again, we're glad that, that you're on this webinar today and, and um, want to answer your questions and want to hear from you how we can support you in that process. So the, just a couple of other points here in terms of the value. So we also know that as an agency, we do not have all the answers. So as we've developed our outreach strategies, We've looked to other states that have also gone through large-scale transitions in their Medicaid programs uh, for their best thinking and their experience and their advice on how we can do this well. Uh, we have also reached out to community partner organizations that work closely with members and reflect the culture and languages of the communities they serve for input and feedback on the materials we've been developing. And then finally, an important principle is to honor member choice. At the Health Authority, we know that members are the ultimate experts on their care, and they're the ones who are the best position to make good decisions about which providers they wanna see and which CCO they wanna be in. So we're doing everything we can to support members and keep them, give them the information that they need so that they can make the best choice for themselves and their family. So let me talk a little bit about how we selected the organizations that receive notification of intent to award contracts. We had 19 organizations submit requests or, or respond to the request for application that, that we uh, put out earlier this year. And let me also clarify, this was not a competitive process. So we were not looking for the best application in a given service area. We were looking to contract with any organization that through the application process demonstrated that they could meet the higher bar that we were setting in CCO 2.0. And to determine whether or not applicants could meet that bar, we established a very rigorous and objective evaluation process. So that included looking at whether CCOs were able to, to coordinate care and integrate care, and they, you know, we looked at how well could they work with local public health and mental health agencies, community-based nonprofits, how well could they coordinate between levels of care, could they demonstrate an ability to care for special populations, and could they integrate behavioral health and oral health services along with physical medicine. We also looked at their capacity to transform the delivery system. Because again, this is not just about same old, same old, maintaining the healthcare system as it currently stands, or even maintaining the, the gains we've made in CCO 1.0. This is about continuing to accelerate health transformation in our state. So we wanted to see, could the applicants demonstrate their capacity to innovate, to improve care delivery and the quality of care? Could they ensure access to culturally and linguistically appropriate care? And how would they propose to measure the value and the efficiency of the services they provided? In addition, community engagement and, and so the community basis of, of the coordinated care system continues to be a hallmark and a priority for OHA. So we want to ensure that in the applications, 
the applicants showed that they had community support and that they had reached out to their communities and had strong relationships that they could build on over the next five years to improve care for members. We also wanted to ensure that they could deliver appropriate clinical services, that they had appropriate clinical review and, and prior authorization processes in place. We wanted to see how they would respond to member complaints and grievances. And then finally, we also measured applicants on the strength of their business administration and, and financial capabilities. So we want to make sure that they had sound business practices in place, that they were able to conduct effective member engagement and outreach, that they had strong electronic health record systems and data systems in place, and that financially they were strong and solvent. So as part of the evaluation, the, the health authority had panels of subject matter experts in each of these areas review the applications. And we controlled for inter-rater reliability to ensure that the applicants were judged consistently uh, among all those SMEs. And the applications were blinded so we could reduce the chance that uh, any applicant would be identifiable. Uh, part of this process was not to look at past performance, but really to focus on how were these applicants going to deliver on the goals of CCO 2.0 moving forward? So here are the organizations that received full five-year contracts, or I should say, let me clarify, received intent to award notifications that the health authority based on their application um, was moving them to the next step to receive five-year contracts. So 11 CCOs received five-year contracts, um, and you see the list here. There were four applications that did not receive contracts, uh, and one of them was a currently existing CCO, that's Primary Health, which did not pass the financial stability reviews, which I should also add were conducted in partnership with the Department of Consumer and Business Services, which is responsible for regulating the commercial insurance market. So we really looked at their expertise to uh, judge the financial soundness of all the applicants. So in a little bit of a wrinkle in this process, we extended one-year contracts to four organizations. These organizations did not fully demonstrate their ability to meet the CCO 2.0 goals and criteria. However, if we had denied these applications, it would have, these are all existing CCOs, and they would have left big gaps in coverage across the state. So we're providing these applicants an opportunity to show that they can meet the CCO 2.0 bar over the next year. They're going to be placed on remediation plans and essentially uh, what those plans will um, do is they will give the, the applicants a chance to address the deficiencies that were identified in the application process and if they can show that they can overcome these deficiencies then we will go ahead and then offer uh, contracts for the remaining four years. If a CCO does not show that it can meet those um, requirements and, and, and cure the deficiencies, then they would not receive uh, a contract beyond one year and the health authority would work with local partners to identify another CCO to move in and, and ensure that there's coverage for members in that service area. So here's a quick summary of the major CCO, uh, uh, sorry, major changes for, for 2020. Trillium will serve the Tri-County area, uh, expanding from its current service area in Lane. 
Pacific Source Community Solutions will um, expand into Lane, uh, as well as Marion and Polk. And then we have this two CCO closures. Primary Health will exit the market that currently serves in Josephine Jackson and parts of Douglas counties. And Willamette Valley Community Health will exit the market uh, in Marion Polk, parts of Lynn, Benton, Yamhill, and Clackamas. And Willamette Valley did not apply for a CCO 2.0 contract. So um, just want to clarify that they, you know, it was not that, that their application was denied. Uh, they chose uh, to do a planned exit of the market before the process began. And here's a map that shows the, right now at least, the service areas for all the, the potential CCOs. And some of the highlights here, Josephine County has one less CCO, or will, will have one less CCO in 2020 than it currently has. Marion and Polk counties will have one new CCO. And then the Tri-County area and Mullinette, Washington, and Clackamas, as well as Lane County, will all go from one CCO to two CCOs. So as I said, at this stage, we've announced our intent to award contracts to all these organizations, but the applicants still have another hurdle to clear, and that's readiness review. So what readiness review entails is essentially an additional evaluation on whether or not these organizations are ready to deliver the services that they promised in their applications. So that review includes looking at whether or not the CCO has uh, the resources, the capacity, the systems in place to meet all the new contractual requirements. Um, we have con the, the agency has contracted with uh, a healthcare consulting firm to conduct these readiness reviews. And we anticipate that they will be completed sometime in September. And then the contractor will report to OHA whether or not there are any findings. The agency will then determine are these, a fine, are these findings things that can be remediated and addressed and we will proceed to issue a contract with those requirements in place. However, if they are of sufficient severity and, and scope, then the agency may choose not to elect to offer a contract and then we would work with other CCOs to ensure that uh, there's coverage in that area. So as I mentioned, there are two CCOs leaving the market, Willamette Valley Community Health and Primary Health. We will be working closely with those CCOs to ensure a smooth member transition, uh, moving me members from the current CCOs to a new CCO. The CCOs are required to submit a transition plan to OHA, and the agency will be communicating with members uh, to ensure that they're aware of that transition and uh, we're also working with the, the CCOs themselves to ensure that they're communicating with members. And then uh, we will also encourage the uh, terminating CCO and the new CCO to work together on data sharing and taking other steps to ensure that, uh, that, that they don't drop the ball in that transition, that members uh, continue to receive access to care in a seamless way. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how we're going to be communicating with members about these transitions, both in terms of CCOs leaving the market and also in terms of choice. So this slide again is just a review of the values that are really informing our work as we move forward. Again, we want to make sure there's minimal disruption in member care. We want to keep members informed based on best practices and lessons learned from other states and the experience of community partners who work most closely with the communities that 
we are trying to support in this process and that we also honor member choice. Okay, so here's a quick summary of some of the ways that we'll be communicating with members. And I think, you know, one of the things I wanna say is one of our objectives is really to over communicate and ensure that uh, we are building in redundant layers of communication and using every pathway we can to help members know what's happening, help them make sure that, that they know how to make the best choices for themselves and their families and that they know how they can continue to access care. So let's walk you through some of these key steps. And I'm going to turn it over to David Ballantyne to talk about, um, first off, with the call center that we're standing up. Thank you, Rob. So one of the first things that we identified in wanting to keep our, our target and our focus true on, on the member is uh, supporting them through all of these changes that are coming from now until and on through the new year. So one of the things we identified is the need to make sure we have a primary source uh, for customer service for members as they uh, move through these, through these uh, sections. So infrastructure is in motion right now for a new call center uh, that's going to be stood up here in early September. Their focus is uh, going to be customer service for members who are in uh, moving through the CCO 2.0 change process. If they're in a service area that has multiple CCOs available to them, if they're in a area that has just a, a new CCO entering, a rollover, or there's no change at all, these uh, these this call center will be available to them um, to answer any questions they have, help them understand any uh, notices they might have received, and, and help them navigate uh, all the tools that we have available for them uh, to make uh, member-focused choices um, on their own. Um, so they will be, uh, we have a new phone number that's been developed just for this call center as we're really keeping this staff focused, set aside for members who are going through this process. So as we kind of move through this timeline, they will be uh, available. So as you can see in mid-September, that's kind of when Rob's team starts to uh, move through some of their communication pieces. Yeah, so the timing of the call center is really important because in mid-September, members will receive their first notification about this process. They'll get a postcard that will say, new CCOs are coming and look for a letter that will give you more information uh, and, and tell you how you can make uh, you know, the best choice for yourself and your family. And then in mid-October, members will get a letter that will describe uh, sort of the, again, you know, providing more detail about CCO 2.0 uh, transition, how it affects them, uh, how they can exercise choice if they want to, uh, provide a comparison guide so that if they are in a choice area, they can look at what each CCO in their service area offers, uh, and then uh, how they can actually go about making a choice if, if they want to do that. Uh, we'll also be reinforcing um, that letter with social media just to enhance the visibility. Uh, and then uh, that letter will be announcing a choice period that will extend basically from mid-October through mid-November. And so we'll be reinforcing that during that choice period time with uh, calls, text messages, emails, um, more social media. There will be a web page that members can go to for more information. Also, uh, community partners and providers can go to that as well. There'll be resources on that page, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, 
So, uh, you know, there will be full service uh, information available. And um, again, you know, make sure that everyone knows where to go to for that information. There, there will also be an online comparison guide for CCOs uh, that we will post that will have some more detailed information than the hard copy version that members receive with their letter in October. The, the October uh, comparison guide will only be for CCOs that are in choice areas. Online, we will have information about every CCO. And we're gonna look to maintain that and, and keep that content as current as possible going forward uh, so that members who are new enrollees in the future or leave the health plan and come back on have that information available to them. Then in December, members will receive a follow-up letter that will tell them about, uh, again, remind them that this process is underway uh, and inform them about the things that the health authority has put in place to ensure that they can continue to access their healthcare providers, their behavioral health providers, their prescriptions, um, things like that. Uh, we'll reinforce that again through multiple pathways um, the December letter will also inform them about choice opportunities between January and March so that uh, as new contracts take effect, uh, if a member uh, you know, wants to choose a different CCO than the one that they're currently enrolled in come January, they will have a three-month opportunity to, to make a different choice. And then finally, uh, CCOs are also an important part of this equation, obviously. Uh, we'll be working with them to ensure that they are sending out new member packets in December uh, for CCOs that are exiting the market. Uh, we'll be working with those organizations to ensure that members are well aware of uh, what the change means for them starting in the fall and all the way through the end of uh, contracts on December 31st. And finally, I mentioned the website. Um, again, we see you as critical partners in this process, and so there'll be a lot of resources there, including posters, one-pagers, FAQs, sample newsletter articles that you can run uh, in your publications to uh, spread the word about this process. We really want to make sure that uh, we're doing everything possible to reach members and uh, you're an important part of that process. So I just want to share with you uh, a little bit of the material that members will be receiving. Um, Pick Your Plan is the way that we are branding this. Uh, and I want to say that, that uh, the materials that we're, we've put together really are the product of a lot of input from community partners, from members themselves. Uh, we've done focus groups uh, across the state. Um, uh, we've had you know, community partners take a look at the materials and, and provide input. I think what we heard loud and clear from the focus groups that involved both members and community partners was one, uh, again, under the principle of, of do no harm, that when members receive a mailing from the Oregon Health Plan, for many members, that's a moment of panic. They think that uh, the health authority is communicating that they're losing their benefits. And so for members who, who live in a service area where there is no change in CCO, they will not be receiving this information. So if you get a question from someone who says, hey, I have a friend who lives in a different county who got this letter from OHP about new CCOs. I never got one. 
That's probably because they live in a service area where the CCO remains the same. There is no change. There are no new choices available. So I want to make that clear because that was an intentional choice on our part. We did not want to create any you know, unnecessary anxiety if we didn't need to. Uh, we also heard, again, that members really value their opportunity to make a choice, and that's why we have the Pick Your Plan branding. Um, so these materials are really designed to emphasize, uh, you know, here's what's happening in your service area. You have new CCOs coming into this area. You have a choice, and here's how you can exercise that choice. Okay, so... Again, in September, members will get a postcard that gives them a preview and ask them to be on the lookout for this letter, which will arrive in early to mid-October. And this letter really has three key messages. The first is, again, something's happening, that there are new CCOs coming to your area. Um, so as part of our effort to ensure that we do not disrupt care for members, the health authority has taken the step of matching members to the CCO that best contains their current providers. And so we've gone back and looked at the last 15 months of um, utilization uh, experience and identified who is the primary care physician, behavioral health counselor, uh, other providers that a member and their family members have, uh, have used and, and developed relationships with. And so based on that, we have assigned members to a CCO. So let me just say a little bit more about that. Now let's, so let's say there's CCO A and CCO B, you know, for a situation where the member, uh, members providers are predominantly in CCO A, rather than CCOB, it's a pretty simple choice. Uh, they'll be pre-assigned to CCOA. If a member's providers are in the networks of both CCOs, then there will be random assignment. So that's how it will work. However, again, we wanna make sure the members have the opportunity to exercise choice. So part of this letter will be informing them not just of their, uh, their assignment, but also to say, if we got it wrong, or if we assigned you to a CCO that you'd prefer not to be in, you will have a, a approximately a one month period in the fall to undo that choice. And then the letter contains information about where they can go um, to, uh, to make a different choice. And I'm gonna turn this over to David to talk about the online tool the members can use and providers can use uh, and partners to, to help make that um, different decision. So. One of the focuses at the call center is um, been there's been training developed around uh, uh, CCO education. We feel like we have an opportunity with every member in this process to also, uh, you know, keep keep striking the chord around what CCOs offer, what they have available, and part of that is uh, moving them through the process. And if they would like to make a different choice, helping them use the tools that we have. Uh, we're also focusing on a lot on how we are communicating with the member in this process, understanding where they're at. I think Rob brought up a great point that when we communicate with members, lots of times this starts to bring anxiety around what are these changes. And so we're really trying to emphasize that in our training plans with this staff. So 
In front of you, you see a tool uh, that will be available for the members uh, from mid-October to mid-November for them to make a uh, different selection for the upcoming year, for January 1st, 2020. This is a, a web form that has uh, some identification points, some verification uh, uh, pieces that will, the member will need to input. It consists of about three pages. It will bring up the choices for those members in that area. It allows them to add family members and make selections for them as well in one process. And then at the end, it allows them to uh, have a, an option to have an email confirmation of their choice, or they can also have a print option for that choice. This is a tool that will be available for uh, not, only, um, not only members to use, but also staff members at various uh, contact points that we have throughout the state, uh, be it the, uh, the customer service centers that are already existing today, uh, but also our community partners. This is a tool that can be used uh, almost universally at any of those locations. It also has another advantage that it will be available off hours. So this is something that we intend to have up 24 hours a day. So members have lives, they have jobs, that have alternate schedules than some of our customer service centers. So this will be available to, for them to use uh, during those times. It will also be available in Spanish as well. And we've been, uh, so right now we're in development. We're, we're doing our last bit of testing around this uh, online web form. And uh, one of the other pieces that we're going to be testing just later this month is also that it will be mobile friendly. So we, we know in a lot of our feedback that the primary resource for uh, members to use the internet is, is their phone. So we're really trying to meet them where they're at and have a, uh, a version of this tool that's available of course on a desktop, but also is available in a user-friendly version uh, on a mobile device. So uh, those are the kinds of pieces we've wrapped together um, for, for this period. Uh, later in September, we're also going to have an additional web form available uh, that will uh, have a, it'll go through a training guide uh, for using this web form and assisting members, and that will be hosted for community partners uh, in late September. So that's another piece that's coming uh, a little further down down the way. Another significant um, function and um, portion of the member transition process for CCO 2.0 is around transition of care. Uh, we, have a, we have an intent to help members as they transition from one plan to another to be able to have a, a stability and a continuity of care through this process. Um, we are we have some pieces here that we're going to walk through that will kind of show what we will be doing to help members through this process when they are in a new plan. Uh, for our prior authorizations, uh, they will be honored for six months for physical, oral, and behavioral health and prescription drugs. For members, we also want them to be able to continue to see existing providers regardless of service area and network for up to 90 days for uh, primary care. And then for behavioral health, we're extending that uh, further to 180 days. Uh, part of this means that the CCOs who are receiving members are going to need uh, information, right? They're gonna need data around uh, um, the member's uh, utilization history. So we are working to send uh, claims and all fee-for-service data to those receiving CCOs 
Um, we are also working with uh, other stakeholders on solutions to transfer the CCO originated information. Uh, the intent is to uh, connect all of that information to the receiving CCO so they have what they need to uh, continue those services. The next portion around transition to care is looking at uh, what the CCOs are expected to do during this process. We're asking the CCOs uh, that they work closely with each other to coordinate services uh, for any member who's transitioning um, and creating any data sharing, sharing agreements that are required as necessary and really focusing on populations at risk. And they will be considered most, most closely to assure that those continued uh, services are, are, we don't have any, any issues with access. Uh, we have a work group that we've uh, convened from now and through March with the CCOs to work uh, and collaborate on how we will support each other. Um, we're developing the, uh, developing, you know, this team will work on developing solutions, it'll work on testing and then implementation. So we are, so we have the, the right support systems in place so the CCOs can communicate with each other, so we can communicate with them and really keep the members uh, care in our primary, uh, as our primary focus during this process. Okay, so here's an overview of the process. I want to make sure that we leave plenty of time for questions. So I'm not going to go through this in detail. Um, but in general, purple are um, the contracting process. Yellow is rulemaking that's underway. Uh, the teal color is outreach and communications that we're doing to inform members and then um, orange indicates the, the periods of member choice and, um, and then as David covered, the uh, magenta color is the transition of care. So you will have access to this slide deck uh, and I definitely encourage you to take a close look uh, and acquaint yourselves uh, with how this is going to roll out. I think just one thing I do want to highlight, October 1st uh, is when we will uh, be moving forward and, and issuing notices to proceed for CCOs that uh, cleared the readiness review hurdle and, uh, and then moving forward to contract and then January 1st is when the new contracts take effect. Okay, uh, here's the most important slide uh, in this presentation and that's uh, really our call to action and uh, our ask to you uh, to help members through this process. So if you are participating today as a community partner or a stakeholder who works with members, one, we want uh, to make sure that you're well informed so that you can help guide members through the choice process. You can tell them where they can go to get information, to compare CCOs, that they know how to access um, the web tool and exercise choice if they choose to do that, that they understand the allocation process and how they were assigned to a CCO um, and they have the opportunity to, to evaluate whether or not that was the right choice for them. Uh, as David talked about, transition of care is, uh, is critical and uh, you know, please make sure the members are aware of the protections we put in place to ensure continuity of care uh, you know, over the, the transition period from current CCOs to new CCOs. And then uh, we ask that you share your input with us. Um, tell us what you're hearing uh, in your community. What are members experiencing? Do they have questions? Are there points of confusion that we need to clarify? So 
uh, want to encourage you to stay informed, stay involved, and, and share your input. And then if you're a provider, um, pretty much the same drill, uh, except that, uh, again, you know, continuity of care is really critical. So please encourage your patients, uh, uh, you know, help them understand uh, the things that are in place to ensure that they can continue to see you, other providers that they rely on, access their prescription medications, um, know, uh, you know, their, their rights during this process. Um, as members are making choices, again, continuity of care is really critical. So if there are CCOs uh, that, that you, know, you are contracted with um, and that they've come to rely on, on you as a provider, let them know which CCOs uh, are operating in your area and ones that you're affiliated with. And then uh, last but not least, also we encourage you to stay informed and, and provide your input to us because uh, we wanna make sure that we get this right to the extent that we possibly can and um, and we need to you know hear from you to make sure that we do that so here are some of the ways that you can stay informed uh, again in the slide deck that you'll receive you'll get active links uh, that you can click on uh, but please check out our website our cco dedicated cco 2.0 website that will have a lot of information for community partner organizations and providers Specifically, uh, we'll have links to the comparison guide uh, and the web tool, all the information that a member needs, um, that a provider needs, and a community partner needs to help navigate this process. The OHP website will also include links to um, the CCO 2.0 website where uh, members and providers and, and partners can get that information. Uh, we have a regular monthly Oregon Health Update newsletter that is chock full of um, great information about health policy in Oregon and that will be a place where we will regularly feature content about CCO 2.0, particularly as we move forward uh, through the readiness review and the contracting process and then move into the actual implementation of CCO 2.0. So that's a great resource. If you haven't signed up for it already, I encourage you to do that. Uh, and then follow OHA social media where we will be regularly reporting on um, this work. And last but not least, um, before I say thank you, I just want to say that we will have a survey following this webinar. And uh, again, really appreciate your feedback and any ideas that you have on how we can support you and members in the process. So thank you all for participating and now we will take some questions. Yes, there have been some great questions. Uh, so there is a lot of interest around behavioral health and integrating behavioral health. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the support available for that? So if this pertains to a provider who's looking to get uh, contracting with behavioral health with, yeah. So the primary source for your area is gonna be the CCOs uh, in your county. If you're a provider who wishes to contract uh, for that kind of uh, um, member, uh, member support, then you should reach out to the CCO in your area and let them know. We support the CCOs on our end with any contracting issues. So that's kind of, that's gonna be your first stop uh, to, to begin that process. Thank you. And then we also received a question, uh, will all forms be available in alternate formats for communications as well for people with disabilities? Yes. Yes. Great. And when will community partners uh, get training around the web form um, or helping people make CCO? That's a great, that's a great question. Uh, we touched on it just, just once, but I'll just say it again. We're, we're creating another webinar that will be available that 
you can uh, that will be the guide through the web form how to use it how to help a member use it how to educate a member how to use it on their own how the mobile version will work you know all of those pieces and that will be in late September and that will be something that will also be recorded that you can play again it won't be a one-time shot we'll have that as a resource and I'm sure it will end up on our websites as well to, to be able to to jump in and grab that at a future date and also along the lines of the online platform, um, you mentioned English and Spanish. What if somebody speaks another language? So that is one of the pieces where we're really asking the community partners to help. I think one of our limitations uh, around implementation is that it, to develop a tool like this in multiple languages, let's say you have seven, you have to basically develop it seven times and, and make sure all of those things are tested correctly and functioning. Like one of our one of our risk assessments is saying we'd like to have this tool. We want to maximize it for as many Oregonians that will be affected. And so we had to make some choices there. So our choices were English and Spanish. So we have staff available in our in our call centers to help. We'll have our translation services, and then we're asking our community partners who assist folks who need that one-on-one -on -one help, who need that uh, those those different variations of assistance. We're really asking that that be one of the one of the pieces that you help us with. And there are a few questions uh, around readiness review. I know you spoke about it, uh, Rob, but if you could maybe just go over that a little bit more as far as um, when would we know if a CCO isn't going to proceed with contracting? Yeah, sure. So the readiness review, again, is really focused on does the CCO have the, the te technical capacity to deliver on the goals of, of CCO 2.0? Um, so, you know, we're looking at do they have the, the systems in place um, necessary to deliver? Uh, do they have the processes, business practices, things like that? Uh, we expect that readiness review should be completed uh, mid to late September. Um, it is currently uh, underway right now, and uh, it's an extensive process, but uh, you know, we, were, we were confident that We'll complete that process and then look to announce uh, complete, you know, full contract, uh, you know, awards uh, by October 1st and, and have those contracts in place. And there were a few other questions about uh, where people can find that CCO call center phone number. So it will be, it will first be published uh, on the postcard. That will be the first moment that number is available. And so right now it is it is not available until that postcard hits hits the mailboxes. Coming soon, mid September. And there was a question about uh, if CCOs will receive copies of member notifications. Yeah, so we are working with CCOs uh, to develop the comparison guide. So again, um, that will be a hard copy that will go out with the October letter. Um, there will also be an online version that will have information about all CCOs, but the, um, the guide that is in hard copy that's available in October will just focus on CCOs that are in choice areas. We are uh, asking the CCOs to populate a template with information. Um, so this is not information that the Oregon Health Authority is going out and collecting on our own. It is not information that we are vetting. We are relying on the CCOs to provide 
that information. We're providing a format for them to do it and a platform to, to get that to members. So, uh, you know, we appreciate the CCOs working with us um, to develop that tool. We will also be sharing information, uh, you know, letters and, and other information going out to members with CCOs. We have not asked CCOs or the applicants to provide input uh, on the materials. Uh, we will provide them in advance to them, um, but we have only asked community partners and, and, and uh, you know, allied organizations and, and, and members themselves to provide that upfront input. And, and for us, I mean, that's been really important because that's the audience we're trying to reach. And we want to make sure that, uh, that our communications are as clear and responsive as possible to members. And then um, we had some questions about um, community advisory councils. I don't know if you want to touch on that. Sure. I think one of the uh, facets of, of CCO 2.0 that is different than CCO 1.0 is there are, there are stronger requirements around community representation uh, and member representation on uh, community advisory councils for, for CCOs. Um, so yeah, we are uh, you know excited to see uh, new voices coming to the table uh, in this process and uh, and and being part of the implementation of, of this process. Uh, there was a question about um, how we're planning to address the confusion between maybe the federal marketplace open enrollment and this open enrollment. There will be. Uh, an overlap, uh, a, a short overlap, because the the choice period extends uh, for CCO 2.0. The choice period extends into mid-November um, uh, during the initial phases of, of marketplace enrollment. I think every year we do see uh, uh, you know some confusion on the part of of current OHP members who hear about. Uh, open enrollment in the marketplace and wonder if there, that means changes for them. And so, uh, you know, we'll certainly be supporting the call center with information to, to reassure current members, um, answer questions about differences between the two processes. Um, and, uh, and again, if you're getting those questions from members, you know, we'll, we'll definitely uh, count on you to, to help clarify. And if there's information that you see would be a value for us, to communicate, then, then we are happy to do that. As far as the closing uh, CCOs, the last date, uh, or the, the date when they will close, that was a question. With, oh, December 31st of this year. All right, so we'll go ahead and conclude the webinar here, but we do have your questions. And uh, please, in the next few days, as Rob mentioned, uh, look for links to a recording of this webinar, handouts, and then that feedback survey. So thank you very much, everyone. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you.